Thanks for joining us once again on the Women in Security podcast. For those of you who are not familiar, my name is Lee Van Tan, and I'm a security recruiter with Morgan McKinley. And in each episode, I bring on board a different female speaker who works in the industry, and we explore different topics um, that could be work-related, that could be an advice about life, and we would also touch on the different areas, different functions within information security. So hopefully through each episode, you take away something new and I hope you find it useful. And if you would like to receive regular updates on the podcast, you can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, as well as any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. Um, For regular updates, make sure to subscribe and I will talk to you the next time. Bye. Today we have in the studio with us Jennifer Cox from Tenable. Jennifer, welcome. I'm delighted to be here. This is January. It's been a little bit of a slow start for January. Um, and even for December, you were actually really busy up to the end. Oh, it was chaotic. I think I spent most of December kind of chasing my tail, but that's the, the nature of the business that we're in. Everybody needs to get things signed off. Mm-hmm. It's never a full month. You think yeah. you're going to be finishing on the 31st, you're not. You need to have out and signed off by the 20th at the latest. Sure. So, yeah, I've recovered from that now. And I'd like to say it was a slow start in January. For but you. No. Not for you. Hit <laughs> <laughs> the ground running again. That's the way I like it. Yeah. And so for people who are not familiar with your profile, can you give us a little bit of introduction into who you are and how you got into security? Sure. I have been working with Cannibal four years this week. Um, I'm a security engineer at the moment. I began there as a TSE, frontline support, and moved up then to the lead support then principal support, and then into uh, the SE role that I'm working in at the moment. And prior to Tenable, I worked in a company for 11 years, doing every single aspect of uh, IT possible. I began in an admin role, um, dishing out cases uh, and site visits to engineers, and then picked up some bits and pieces on the job, started taking cases, taking calls, taking remote sessions back when it was dial-up. And resolving issues on the fly. And then over time, then I kind of absorbed more and more of that work, um, moved up in support, and then I began administering the network for the company and its sister companies and kind of looking after everything that was deployed then from that point. Um, but I moved from that company into Tenable um, because I wanted to specialize in security. And the opportunity came up and it was time to take the leap. And you were with the company for a good 11 years yep. before moving to Tenable. And from what I understand, you're also the first employee on the ground for Tenable. Yeah. So 11 years in Datapack, um, I was, I suppose I thought about making the move maybe three years prior. But I found out then that we were having our, our youngest baby. So he's the youngest of four. Um, and I decided, like I suppose many women would in that position, that it probably wasn't the best time to make the leap. I had stability. I had, uh, I knew what was happening from morning to evening of any given day. And I could work into a baby into that routine. Um, so I held off. And it took three years before I finally kind of settled back and... Uh, everything with him settled down and I got into a routine where I felt okay I I can do this now I can make the move and if I have to go further afield which I did because the company I worked in was in um, in Wexford which is where I live and the company Tenable I was going to work for was in Dublin so I needed to to allow for the commute as well and at the time my interest in security was 
deep enough, shall I say, to bite the bullet and make mm. the leap. And it paid off, paid off big time and haven't looked back since. There's so many things in that short answer you gave <laughs> that I need to touch on, right? Firstly, four kids. Yeah. Just wow. Uh-huh. Firstly, but that there's this whole thing about returning mom. So firstly, what's the age gap between the four kids? So the oldest is 22, mm-hmm. then there's a 16-year-old, then there's a 12-year-old, yeah. and then there is the 5-year-old. Yeah. Both the 12 and 5-year-old are just due up birthdays soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so none of them are close enough together to be interested in the same thing, so yeah. that brings its own challenges. Uh, they're all boys, and no matter how hard we've tried, none of them like the same sports. <laughs> so even when they are sporty inclined, we've rugby, tennis, basketball. Yeah. Um, you know, so they all. I spent a lot of time, and now my husband does it probably more than I. Uh, sat in cars waiting mm-hmm. for a lot of things. It was great when I was studying uh, for college because I could just get the books out while I was waiting, but. Yeah, it, it brings with it its own challenges outside of work. But in saying that, most of them are old enough for me to be able to sit down and speak to and explain that this was something that I felt was going to be good for me mm-hmm. and then, by association, good for them. And in the long term, I would be more fulfilled and that I wasn't in my previous job. And having that kind of that fulfilment or satisfaction in what you're doing, whether you're studying or you're a stay-at-home parent or you're working or whatever it is that you're doing or care, if you feel fulfilment in it, then that's the bottom line. Everybody around you absorbs that positive vibe as such. If you're happy, how can anyone not be happy around a person that is happy? If you know what I mean? They, to be fair, supported it and worked alongside me with any of the compromises that had to be made. They're very proud. They have been, I've had a few things happen, which I'm sure we'll talk about yet, that uh, they've been very proud of, you know, as they've happened during my time um, since I made that move. And because, as you mentioned, the age gap between each of them is quite a few years, right? So have you ever felt, let's say, your kid is getting to seven or eight, there's another one that comes along. Have you ever felt that it creates, I suppose, a pause in your career because then you're taking time off for X amount and it might be the time when you're really at the brink of a promotion or like you said, in data pack, you were thinking of moving three years prior and then you had the kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. How, how was the conversation with yourself? Well, I think with the last one, that was the point at which I, I really felt I was pressing pause. Because I was ready, I had applied for a position, I won't name the company, but a significant company, and had got it, and then found out, and then had, I turned it down. So I could have made the jump, sure. um, had the circumstances have been different, so I felt the pause then. Whereas any previous time with the boys, um, I hadn't been inclined to make the jump, or things were changing in my the position I was in at the time. I mean, I changed roles four or five times when I was in Datapack. Um, so it wasn't I didn't I suppose I didn't feel the loss so much and then as well like when I went on maternity leave with my 16 year old he was two and a half months old when I went back to work we had to leave two weeks before he was due and he was two weeks late so I had a whole month of time to sit around counting how long the days were before he arrived Um, and then he arrived and then yeah we only got three months off at that time and that's not 100 years ago Mm -hmm. I mean there's been a lot of change since then and we still have a way to go but uh, when I look back on it, that's a tiny, tiny baby. And um, whereas my last wee boy, I took the full six months off. He was a fine bouncing baby when I went back. And then with your holidays and the rest, he was a good eight months yeah. know, by the time I went back. Um, so that makes a big difference then too. With the shorter time off, I didn't miss so much. 
I'm not recommending it to anybody, but I didn't miss so much. But certainly being off for, for eight months meant that a lot of the training that I had taken upon myself needed kind of a refresher. I mean, most people know how difficult it is to remember your password when you've been off for two weeks holidays. Yep. So trying to remember how to troubleshoot certain things or commands to run that I haven't run in a, in a certain time. And while that seems like small things when you're doing uh, support or troubleshooting user issues, that's at the core of what you do. It takes a while to refresh it. And I was pretty intense about not coming back and looking like I didn't know stuff. So what you tend to do then is if you're on maternity leave, you're kind of stockpiling work ahead of going back to work so that you you go into it ready and not looking like you've missed anything because you don't want anyone to think that that you've fallen behind in any way, that this has been a negative. It's not a negative. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of pressure put on and, and I feel a lot for, for any woman that's taken a break longer than that. I mean, I took the minimum mm-hmm. and found that there were some hurdles to get back into work from. So for any woman, say, who takes years out to look after the kids and then comes back, you know, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. There's definitely a lot more support in place nowadays. Um, nowadays. I sound like an old lady when I say nowadays. But things move so fast yeah, exactly. in the industry that we're in. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of training available, a lot of support available. And it's available to both men and women who take that time off. Yeah. It's not exclusively to women, but, you know, we understand more, I think, the challenges that are there and the support that's needed. And a lot of companies are are doing partial return from maternity leave rather than going straight into a five-day week it's easing into it or they'll go straight into training or they just have groups within the company that are supportive for, for women that need that um, and I think that's a massive I mean, I mean I'm done I've said that before and then I had a fourth one but I'm done done I'm really done mm-hmm. but in the event that something like that was to happen to me or anybody that I know now it's not the big shocking oh how am I going to cope with all this scenario that it used to be in an industry that moves so fast it's a breather if you were to look back at that time when you found out that you were pregnant with your last kid I suppose what I'm trying to get at is it comes a time when people are planning for family they might think you know okay it's probably something that we're planning for 12 months from now but i'm in the midst of applying for a new role there's probation etc or halfway like yourself had experienced halfway through you're applying for a job you're going for an interview and you've done maybe a couple rounds things look really positive and then you find out that if you put yourself in that situation again now what would you do i think now a lot of the companies are much more transparent on what that means for them and Obviously, if a company knows that you're you're pregnant, it's, they're not allowed to turn you down for that if they were giving you the job anyway. But I think it's it's a better environment to be more honest about those things. And a lot, in a lot of cases, especially, I suppose, higher up the, the chain as such, it's worth more to get the right employee in and have that pause than to not take that employee in and, you know, have to start the... I mean, for some positions that recruitment process can take nearly the length of a maternity leave anyway I can attest to that (laughs) (laughs) so you might as well go with the candidate that you've that you've picked and you're comfortable with and then there's a lot to be said for transparency whether it's me as the candidate going for the position being honest with them but they've also learned that I will be honest and you're you're beginning your relationship with that company on in a transparent way so I think there's a lot more risk felt 
back then. I mean, my youngest is only just turning six. So that's not a million years ago. But certainly mm-hmm. I would have felt like there was more risk at that time then. I didn't feel I could be as transparent because the... The, not even the law but the policies for all of these companies weren't as clear I didn't quite know how I would have stood so it was just easier to back off and you know the devil you know as they say um, whereas now if you're going for some of the bigger companies that you can get all that information easily through their websites and see what how they stand on these things so you know you know what's going to happen and there's laws that protect us all then of course the biggest downside is always going to be that there is probation but your pregnancy isn't your probation. So that shouldn't be something that, that is a concern. I think sometimes when it's time to, to bite the bullet and take the jump, it's time. Um, and when it feels right, then that's the time to do it, regardless really of what's happening. Uh, you make it work. It was just as difficult with a toddler to go to Dublin as I imagine it would have been yeah. with a younger child. Hindsight is, you know so clear <laughs> mm-hmm. but especially because you were commuting from Wexford so yeah. the, the commute is what 60 to 90 minutes depending on traffic each usually. way yeah yeah you know yeah. And, and that's each way yeah right how do you balance that four kids work well I have a pretty awesome husband mm-hmm. so he works part-time Shout as out. well yeah <laughs> a lot to be said for that. Um, I always used to joke about how we were traditional role models in reverse he's an awesome cook I suck at cooking if you don't want cheese on toast or beans and it's not going to happen um, you know he makes sure that everybody's fed well and he makes sure that the house keeps running he also does work himself but uh, and he's the king of homework um, I'd say I'd have them all murdered if I had to do homework with them I'm not known for my patience with that but that helps you know if you're on your own it's going to be a lot more difficult and I have sisters that are single parents and I see the challenges that you know that they face every day um, so without th- that kind of support at home I couldn't have done it quite simple it was never an option for me to, to move to Dublin and we'd bought in Wexford and all of the family around there this is where we like to be so it was the sacrifice that I was going to make I wasn't going to ask them to make it if that makes sense and I quite like the commute like I say it's four kids there's a lot to be said for having an hour and a half each way to listen to podcasts and mm-hmm croon to the worst songs in the universe at the top of your voice a lot of that is good so it means when I get home that's all out of my system and the day's work is out of my system and when I walk through the door I'm on their time which they're usually at least one of them waiting for me to come through the door or something (laughs) (laughs) but it means they have my attention from day dot you know if I was working from home it takes a little it's a little harder because you're walking Mm. from one room to another and trying to tune out of work and into home Mm. I commute early as well I always go up early enough so that I can miss the traffic yeah it's possible it's difficult but it's possible and I'm so used to it now and to be honest if I had to if it was snowed and I was snowed in for the week and I had to work from home for an entire week I think I'd go dull <laughs> so I like the commute having that time sure. out it yeah. does give me that little bit of headspace and yeah. everybody talks now about uh, you know catering for your for your mental health and your your personal well-being and making sure that you're looked after because if you're not everybody else can't be and if for for some people it's a physical time out that they'll take, they might read books or they might cook or whatever it is that they do. And for me, I think I've learned that mm-hmm. it is that time in the mm-hmm. car. Um, so I try to walk when I'm at home whenever I can. And again, listen to podcasts or music. I can't croon yeah. at the top of my voice. That's just creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I get arrested, I'd say. But, um, but I can listen to stuff and, and just spend a little bit of time in my own head yeah. then. But commuting has its upsides. 
That's, that's very positive mindset, right? I mean, I commute door to door 40 minutes. I never really complain, but if I ever find myself doing that, I'll think of your commute. <laughs> and then I'll think, you know what? It's all about how you perceive it. And that's something I've mentioned in the previous podcast, perception and all that. And you've been with Tanabo four years today. Four years Saturday. Saturday, yeah. right. So we're recording this slightly ahead by the time listeners listening to this it would be a month from now but congratulations <laughs> thank you um, four years going back to the point of yourself being the first employee after 11 years with Datapack how did you prepare yourself for that move because for a lot of people who've been with an organization for a long time making the move itself to an established company or you know any company at all it's daunting. Mm -hmm. And what more a company that has no history, you know, it was completely new, you were going to be the first person on the ground, which meant you didn't have sort of physical support ready for you when you needed some a teammate that you could turn to on the left or right to say, hey, you know, are we doing okay? How did you prepare yourself for all this? Well, we were lucky enough that um, Tenable is... I suppose it's well known now in the, the US side. So it was his first introduction into, into Dublin. Um, but lucky enough that the team that work in the US all went out of their way to make sure that we felt... I say we because a few weeks after me, we had our, our number two, Rob, which who I always um, say to him, happy anniversary when the day comes around, which happens to be his birthday as well. But um, And then there was a couple more then after that. So there was about four of us um, when we first got into the office then. They made a big effort to do video calls and phone calls and have online interactive forums so that we could become as connected as possible before we even physically met each other. Um, but aside from that, it made the jump less intimidating. And that's kind of the opposite of what you might expect because you think, oh, I'm going to somewhere that is the lesser known. But that in itself, it felt smaller and more closely knit and everybody knew everybody kind of in the beginning of it and that actually worked really really well for someone having come from an environment after 11 years where everybody does know everybody and um, very quickly we all made friends and we all became sort of responsible for one another and reached out to each other and there was so um the open door policy was a real thing and um, I've often been in places where they that's said but it's not you know actually the case when you actually need help but um in this case, no matter who you ask, whether it was a, a VP or another frontline TSE, um, anyone would help you if they could. So that makes a massive, massive difference. But yeah, I think for me, I had literally hit the point at which it was now or never. If I didn't make the jump now for myself, um, I was never going to make it. And I was going to stay at the level that I was at from now to the end of time. And that was how it was going to be. Now, that's not the worst thing in the world, but I wanted more. And I wanted to at least take the opportunity to try and have more. And if it all fell on its face, it fell on its face. But at least I could turn around and say I tried. So, um, so yeah, it was a, a big jump. But like I say, the way that Tenable's teams work and their networks work makes that, and still now, since it's gotten bigger, it makes that so much easier to maintain. 
And it's actually nice to be in a smaller office to begin with because you get that sense of camaraderie, mm. friendship, you know, whereas sometimes, yeah, we, we think about stability within a larger organization. But if you're thinking there are hundreds or thousands of people, you don't actually get to meet everyone. You yeah, don't know them. Exactly. You might know them on the internet as so-and-so by their last four digit of their phone line. <laughs> but you don't yeah. actually have a friendship there. No, it's true. It's right. true. And we, I mean, we've beautiful offices uh, down on the waterfront, um, which doesn't hurt, sorry, to look out the window. Beautiful. Yeah, and to see the water. And if you look from upstairs, um, it actually almost feels like you're on a boat because you can't see the ground at all. You can oh, just see the stop. water. So it's lovely. <laughs> on a really sunny day when it's beautiful and blue. Um, but yeah, the, the offices are amazing. And then... Within the teams that are there, there was a big effort to... I'm trying to remember what the name was called, but we had a Slack group that was called Coffee Buddies, I think, Mm -hmm. where it it basically randomises people. So you get paired with a person and then you have to make it your business over the next two weeks to have, whether it's a video call with them if they're in in one of the other offices or to meet them physically for for coffee if they're in the Dublin office and um, so that you get to know people on the other teams and that the whole company feels like it's networked that mm-hmm. it's not the US office and the APEC office or the Aussie office and us yeah. that we're all part of the same group and it really worked very well like I um I think actually when we got to the point where we've quite a few in the office and um, I met somebody who had been in the office for six weeks before I realised he was in Dublin. I thought he was in the US office. <laughs> Only I got him on Coffee Buddies and I yeah. met him physically. They're like, oh, you're real and you're here. <laughs> but uh, prior to that moment, I definitely would have been familiar with everybody who'd come through the door. Mm. That's the handy thing of being sort of first off the bat. Yeah. Um, I'm almost like the wallpaper in the place. Like the, I, f- I feel like I've been there forever and it's only been, been four years, but yeah. in a good way. Like, yeah. Everybody makes an effort to get to know each other. What I love is that there's no tears. It's mm-hmm. not like management versus frontline or, you know, oh, here comes a VP, don't make eye contact. Yeah. You know, um, everybody talks to everybody about whatever and there's no judgment either way. Whatever mm-hmm. you have to ask or whatever you want to talk about, whether it's soccer or whether it's business, mm-hmm. um, do you know everybody is human? And it's taken that way regardless of what level anybody is working at, which is really important to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think that when that starts to happen, people start to consider anyone below them as less than human mm. and then it all gets very messy. Yeah. It's very hard to come back from an environment like that. It gets very toxic. But we don't, like I say, we don't have that, that issue. It's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also means that if you do want to move up the ranks and you want to ask somebody what it was like for them to get there and do that you can actually ask somebody you know for how yeah. it works and for support and suggestions which is better than reaching out in random forums trying to get information off people it's, you know you've got the glass door <laughs> review <laughs> no but I, I would look at that <laughs> yeah it sounds like they've got the culture right and one thing about open door policy and why it's so important And I think more and more employers are adopting this. Mm -hmm. Although, like you said, saying versus actually adopting and practicing it is very different. But it really does encourage collaboration across the team and even open communication. Because sometimes when you're on the ground, you see where things aren't working. You're not afraid to go up to the head of or whoever's in charge to say, hey, I think 
this isn't working, can we think of something else? Because we all know that person working for a certain organization where they're like, yeah, you know, when they ask for feedback, they don't really want to know the feedback. Yeah. You just have to fluff. And what's the point at the end of the day? Yes. Do we actually want to learn from this or not? Like, yeah. yeah. And definitely, I feel like we're on a constant learning curve not just from each other, but, you know, from how what we do interacts with, with customers and the environment then outside of that. Um, I mean, my job is pretty much consultancy as a security engineer. So I work with our customer base on the products that they have currently and making sure that they get the best out of them is the best way to put it, I suppose. So I do regular calls and we talk about the wonderful world of vulnerability management, ITOT, the whole lot of it. Um, from that down to things like compliance, PCI scanning or compliance certification uh, so all sorts will come up across all sorts of different environments and we'll go through best practices and how to approach challenges that they have. So it becomes more of a, a consultant relationship, I suppose. And it's really important to me that those conversations can be open and frank. And so with that then as well, it means that I get honest feedback. It's not just a tick box of feedback that you send out to a customer and say, do you like it? Do you not? <laughs> it's actual usable information that we can relate we, being the, uh, the SEs, can relay back to our development teams and make what we do better and make our processes better. Mm-hmm. It's all about improvement and it's all about moving quickly. I mean, like say the nature of IT anyway is quickly, but and when you're talking about um, the security side of things, you're always on the back foot as a general rule. Um, people always consider it something where you're responsive to events um, we focus on trying to be ahead of the events and anticipating something happening and protecting yourself in the best way you can ahead of that. So it's trying, we try and change the mindset and the approach of everyone that we work with. So you have to have that ability to speak that way. I don't worry about saying things in a certain way. I worry about making sure that the person that I'm speaking to understands the point that I'm trying to make. However, I need to make it so that they're clear. Um, and the same with them that I understand what their challenge is that they're trying to put to me. So we have to be very clear in our communication and that feeds all the way through all of the levels. So. Earlier you said that the four years, although it feels like a long time, it's also a really short period of time. And if we think about that time, you've actually moved within multiple different roles <laughs> yeah. in, in that time. Tell us a little bit more about that because, and again, why I'm interested in that is because we see that, you know, for people who stay on with their companies for an extended period of time, it usually comes because there's challenge in multiple different forms. You're getting promoted, you're getting you know moved into different functions to learn new things. How do you put yourself forward for such opportunities? I remember the, the day I began in uh, Tenable, and my boss, Greg was his name, um, I started as what I call a frontline TSE. So that's a technical support engineer to anyone who's never worked in support. When I came, I kind of stepped down to go into that role from what I would have been doing previously with uh, with Datapack. But I did it because I was clear from the beginning that I wanted to move up in Tenable. So, Greg, <laughs> I can still see him laughing at me. The day that I started, I started to talk to him about what do I need to do to become a lead. And so I focused really hard on becoming that lead. Did everything that was asked of me and probably an additional 50% because I wanted to make absolutely sure 
that this was mine and it was going to happen and there was never going to be any doubt in anyone's mind. And then I got the lead role, I think it was seven months later. And the day I got the lead role, then I haunted him again and said, what do I need to do to be principal? And I pretty much have done that since I started. And so every time I've worked a role, I've worked that role and worked toward the next role from day one. So I don't yet know what it's like to work just the role I'm in. So it's the role I'm in and the role I'm going for. But what I've learned is that something that I never did prior to Tenable, um, what I've learned is that if I want it, I need to find out what I need to do to get it for starters. And if you've got management like I have who are very clear and very supportive in doing that, it helps. But if I don't ask, then that's it. I've signed my own cert of unwillingness as such. I need to be clear on what my goals are. And then I can achieve them and that 50% because I don't want everyone to, that's, I don't know whether that's just a me thing or it's a woman thing, but I don't ever want anyone to have any doubt that that role is mine. So I'll always do more than I've been asked to. But um, it's really important to say, okay, here's what I want. How do I get there? Mm-hmm. And you need that guidance, whether it's your manager or their manager or somebody who's in that role already, the guidance to do it. And I intend to keep pushing in that direction until there's nowhere else to go. And mm-hmm. then I'll figure out what to do from that when Sky's I get there. the limit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm not bored of uh, yeah. pushing in that direction yet. Uh, especially when you work in an industry, I, I know I've said it before, that moves so fast. There's so much training and so much upskilling and insecurity. Then you're always, like say, learning about new vulnerabilities and such. What's the difference in learning to do things in advance of a role that you're you're going for as well so you might as well you know in for penny in for pound you might as well just throw yourself at it all and what I've learned is that it's achievable in companies that that support you and want you to do well and want to keep their employees they will make sure and help you get to the goals that you have so um, I've found that and I keep pursuing that and long may it last ultimately it's yourself right Mm -hmm. if you don't have the desire to move up you could be 10 years in the company you will be in the same role yeah right and it's all there for you to grab the last two years in fact were really busy for you Mm -hmm. you were speaking at the women in tech awards you were also nominated for several categories um finalist for security leader the finalist for security champion in women in it awards finalist for women of the year how (laughs) you know I, i always think that People who are mothers, especially a mom of four kids, commuting, plus being so busy with work. How do you even find time? Like, honestly, (laughs) where? And the speaking engagement piece, how did you prepare yourself for it? Because it was a huge event. And that was terrifying. And to be fair, whilst in my mind's eye, I had this awesome dream of like talking to a whole lot of people and being really awe-inspiring and, Mm. you know, conquering the universe. But I never thought that least of all would I do it within that year and that it was going to be something that was going to be I don't want to say easy to do but that I would be able to do I turned 40 last summer and when I turned 40 I made a list of 40 things I wanted to do before I turned 41 which is quite a few things and I might have been a little optimistic but I'm still working on that list Um, but one of them was to public speak another one was to shave my head that's done now as well not before I public spoke though (laughs) (laughs) timed it (laughs) 
So um, with the public speaking, I had thought, I'll set myself a goal of doing that, maybe 200 people max. And, yeah. you know, I'll talk about something that I know well. It didn't have to be necessarily work-related. And then Women in Tech got in touch with me and asked me would I be prepared to speak at the event. Um, and I said, okay, let's do this. Bite the bullet. Um, and that was nearly, I suppose it was this time last year. So there's mm-hmm. a good bit of time to prepare for it. It's a fantastic opportunity. I was very, very excited about it. Also counted it down on my calendar right to the day it <laughs> happened. And then I realised that it, I was going to be speaking on the main stage. That was intimidating. But it's amazing how when you get up there and you're looking at the, a room full of people who are who only want you to do well who genuinely want to hear what it is that you've got to say and who smile and nod while you're talking so that you you know you're in the right direction and you're not boring people, how supportive that can be. Oh, definitely the highlight, even ahead of those nominations. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to the tech awards people, but um, <laughs> <laughs> even ahead of those, it was probably the best yeah. uh, thing that happened last year. I have some awesome pictures from it. Mm-hmm. My favourite is one where I'm the teeny tiny person on the stage and it's taken from the back where you see the crowd of people. Mm. And I actually have that one printed and put on my wall yeah. in my office. Because it's not easy. No. No. Now, whether I, I often say to myself, would I be able to do it again tomorrow? And it's funny because you, you always have a part of yourself that will doubt it and go, yeah. oh, I don't know mm. whether I would. But yeah, if I'm talking about something like I did at the time, I spoke about work, work-life balance. I purposely didn't choose a technical topic. Mm. I suppose a lot of the technical stuff that I would talk about would be pretty generic. Sure. And I knew that there was a lot of specialists talking at the time that were going to be way... Well, I felt they'd be way more interesting than I would. Mm-hmm. But work-life balance, I have got that down. Oh, 100%. 150%. Yeah. So I reckon that I can definitely talk about that. And should I throw a wobbler and forget everything I was going to say, I would be able to pull myself back on track because it's something that I do all day, every day, mm-hmm. and live and breathe it. So I figured that, you know, if I was going to get nervous on stage, I'd cope. Mm-hmm. and pull myself back into line with that and it went really really well I have to say but what I found most awe-inspiring I think about that was not standing on stage it was one of the best moments but was afterwards so mm-hmm. I was approached by a number of, of women afterwards you, you get naturally you get people who are just adorable or deadly as we say in Wexford adorable who will congratulate you and it feels amazing when they do that but people came to me with sort of individual stories of challenges that they've had and people as young as their early 20s who already feel like they've given up a piece of themselves mm-hmm. in order to push a career and I think it's easy for me to say I'm 40 I'm so wise about the ways of the world now not but I feel like I've definitely got more of a grasp on it than I did at 21 but I've only in the last few years really understood how important it is to have something that's mine. So for me, when I moved to Tenable, that was the thing that was mine, the Mm -hmm. move. After a while, it became the commute. (laughs) But I also do other things um, outside of it. So I got more heavily involved in women in tech once I discovered the world of things that are happening, even just within Dublin, for women in tech. I, I had my finger in all those pies as such. I wanted to be involved in as much of it as possible. And I live for that. That gives me great joy to be involved in it. And I think you have to have those things. So for me, when you talk about like managing the time and and finding places to squeeze those things in, I think if you like to make jigsaw puzzles, it's amazing how you can find the time to do that. We always can find the time to watch the last season of Game of Thrones or play Candy Crush on your phone. And if that's the thing that helps you settle down and makes you happy, do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not belittling either of them. For me, I ditched TV 
and I find myself several times a day saying to people, no, 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 I don't know what happened in that. I don't watch television. Yeah. No, no, I don't watch television. <laughs> Which um, I'm sure it gets tiresome after a while, but the amount of time I got back, I didn't realise I watched that much TV, but I got a lot of time back, so I used it to to study for college, to prep the speech for the, the women in tech, to do presentations, to go to training sessions, get involved in groups. I did a... I was a judge at the... Um, coolest projects competition in the RDS in Dublin that was awesome but I couldn't have done all of those things if I didn't make it a thing that I needed mm-hmm. to be who I am so you have to make so the time so you sacrificed TV but you got so much more done so much more and TV wasn't making me any better a person I mean I can still I do have Game of Thrones I did sacrifice a few weekends although nights. that's good TV though yeah. I hear well I'm not a, I, I don't watch that just to be very clear but My boyfriend, who is a critique of drama or series and stuff, is a fan, so yeah. I guess it says a lot. I think I watched pretty much all of the series, well, from three to the end, over a whole weekend once. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep, but I wanted to be all <laughs> caught up. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a glutton for doing it that way. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, on a regular basis, I don't. I'm very well versed in uh, kids' YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually on in the background, but I can do other things at the same time. That wasn't important to me. To some people, that's how they wind down. And if yeah. that's important to you, that's fine. It's not, no judgment here. Yeah. Certainly not. For me, I actually do, if I'm stuck in a car or something and I'm not studying, I will play match three games. Not Candy Crush, because mm-hmm. that's a bit dangerous. But uh, other match three games, because it helps me wind down when I'm just trying not to think about anything in particular. I just want yeah. to zone out. You know, everybody has their thing, but you have to make that thing your own. Don't make excuses for it. Don't say, you know, I'm awful. Sure, here I am watching another Coronation Street. No. Yeah. If that's your time, take it. It's yours. You deserve it. Own it. You've worked for it. Yeah, exactly. Own it. That was the main message of what I was putting across in my talk that day. And I think it resonated with a lot of people. So the girl that I spoke to who was saying that she's, I think she said she was 21 and that she um, felt like she was doing well in her work, but she was investing more and more of her own time into it and losing more and more of herself through that process. And she loved to cook. And I said, for the extra time that you're putting into it isn't enough for you to feel like a superhero about your job. Do your job, but if you're not doing that bit for yourself, that's what makes you the superhero, if you know what I mean. So, I mean, I love my job and I have been known to give it more than a working day because I love it. And I love the mm-hmm. interactions with customers and that gives me life. But I also love to do things with my kids and I love my own hobbies and my habits. And, but I make time for them. Because mm-hmm. without them, I very quickly become a really dull person and I'm really cranky. Um, I have to have it, like, and everybody should. And I really felt for that that particular girl. There was lots of others that I spoke to at the time, but yeah. I really felt at the time that that's a less It's a hard lesson to learn. It is. And she was really pleased when she mm-hmm. walked away from it because she felt she had learned it at 21, whereas mm-hmm. I was probably more in my mid to late 30s by the time I had figured it out. Yeah. And certainly three, nearly four kids deep at that point when the penny dropped it's at the core of everything if you're not making that little bit of time to do something for yourself um, I think women in their nature tend to put everybody else first anyway um, but you very quickly find yourself going what do I do what yeah. is mine what am I like how do I know what decision I'll make next everything gets very confusing uh, very quickly if you don't have that thing so whatever it is Do not make it smaller because somebody else doesn't do it. It does not matter if it's just getting your nails done on a Friday and you want to do them in pretty patterns. 
I do like like that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, you tell? do you? <laughs> <laughs> but do it, whatever it is. Yeah. Do it and make it your own. Like yeah. No, hundred percent. Like I've been working ten years now. And I'm really fortunate where I am that I get the option to just clock off when it's time. Mm-hmm. That I don't have to work late. I definitely used to do that in the early few years when I was in recruitment. This was in Singapore, um, and in Asian culture, or even when I was working with, let's say, British recruiters. There's a very different sense of what work-life balance means and work is always there before you think about life but I'm really fortunate that you know maybe it's a thing with working with Irish as well that people embrace it right and I get to just decide what I want to do with my time but ultimately we never really switch off anymore you're on your phone if an email comes in and it needs to be actioned we're on it but you know that there's nothing that's too urgent that needs to keep you at work past a certain time. Um, And like you said, for some people, they learn it younger. Mm -hmm. For some people, they learn it later. Even at work here, I see some colleagues of mine who love staying on at work for the next two, three hours. You know, it brings them joy. For me, it brings me joy to be able to go home at a certain time and say, this is my night. This yes. is my time. So important. If you don't do that switch off, you, you become a drone. A, a drone. A robot. Yes. <laughs> Just like a drone that doesn't say it right. It could be a drone as well. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but I found myself um, back in my old job comparing, because I would have been on response for anything like if a server went down. Mm. And I was a devil for putting the email on my personal phone. Mm. Big mistake. Don't do that. But where I'd read an email where there was something urgent was happening and I'd have to actually consciously go, if I was in the hospital with one of my children, would I respond to this email? And only if I had, which you never say yes, there's never a yes for that. The children are always going to come first. But if there was a case where I could say yes, then it's important enough. Mm. But nothing is more important than my children. But I had to mentally go through that challenge Mm. Every time I got an email that said urgent on it, to stop myself from replying outside of hours to those emails. Because when I replied at 6, 8, 10, 2 o'clock in the morning, next thing people were sending regular emails through looking for a response at 2 o'clock because in the morning. Because they're spoiled. Mm-hmm. They're used to it. They're like, ah, okay. Yeah. If no one else is going to respond, Jennifer would. Exactly. So let's all go to her. You know? so, exactly. so you're setting that... A terrible habit. precedent. A oh, terrible yeah. precedent. Oh, yeah. And like I say, creating all these bad habits. Mm-hmm. So I had to give myself a really extreme example to compare against. And you'll never, you'll never say whatever the email is, if the whole world's falling down, the building's on fire. It's never more important so that you would never leave your child in an ER to go and deal with this situation. So it used to correct me all the time. I don't know if that example is going to work for everybody, but <laughs> it worked for me and I did rein it back in and stuck to the office hours. And like I say, that wasn't in an old job, but I had to do it because I was my own worst enemy. So, you know, needs must. Do your kids know much about what you do? Hmm. They, they do. They understand what it is that I do. They haven't the remotest interest. They think they haven't the remotest interest in anything technical. I just realised that because I'm going, mm-hmm. like, uh, my son would have, he did junk couture competition in school recently and he made the, the they do a little video of how it was made and he put that all together in no length of time music behind it and uh, voiceover and all that which is something that we'd have been at for weeks with the technology that was there when I was his age you know they're capable of doing the bits and pieces they just don't really have an interest in it but I don't know about you but when I was younger I wasn't particularly interested in things my parents did it was only as I got older I started to realize that maybe those things are not so 
boring but because they were part of my day to day they may have seemed boring and mm-hmm. um, so for them yeah they've often heard me on on calls with customers and they just roll their eyes and leave the room <laughs> whereas my, my husband is not particularly uh, technical as long as I can keep his email up and running and his website up and running then he He's doesn't mind on. beyond and he can get into <laughs> online banking that's about it like <laughs> but the kids yeah they understand it they understand the significance of it and if they see that a, a company somewhere in the world has been exploited through whether it's malware or hacking they always go is that one of yours man <laughs> <laughs> to which it's almost always not <laughs> yeah. just for the record yeah so they they know understand that much of it when it comes to technical interest, I know that my um, 12-year-old is pretty handy at coding. Doesn't care for it. The little man. When they have it easy, though. Yeah. When it you comes, know, I, I always find that. I always found that the hardest, coding. Yeah. I just found it soul-destroying. I have a brother who is a developer, and he writes it, and he loves it, and he's very interested in it, and he's always coming up with new things. And, he, you know, yay him. Mm-hmm. I did it because I had to do it for college. Um, I succeeded in doing the projects I was supposed to do, and then I could not wash my hands of it fast enough. I have no problem looking through and troubleshooting code that's already written, but if you ask me to write it from scratch, I think maybe I just having the imagination I used to have but uh, it's not for me I yeah. can, like, just can do it and love to do it are very very different things when it comes to coding and I have the greatest admiration for people who do that um, they just they just blow my mind when I talk to them that they can do that all day every day and come up with new things yeah. fair dues I have to be talking to people all day every day mm-hmm. to sustain life and <laughs> keep I think going the thing and again drawing from I suppose my boyfriend's experience so he was coding at the age of 10. Yeah. You know, it was Second super easy. Then, like. Yeah. But he has no interest. He's not in the technical field at all. But he understands mm. so much. You know, he, he creates his own website when he was working his own business. Um, and when he's working with suppliers, he can go through all the codes, even though he's not in the industry. Yeah. And I'm just thinking half the time, well, you're going to make a much better recruiter than I am because you've got the technical <laughs> piece. But one thing he said to me was, he didn't have the interest to sit behind the computer. He liked the people piece. And I think that's probably why sometimes we might lose people who are naturally good in this space. Because yeah. like how a lot of people still think it's all about, you know, the hoodie hacker thing. Yeah. Very it little might be, really. Yeah, exactly. But it might be the concept for them that, you know, maybe even for your son, he, he's good at coding, but he thinks I don't want to be stuck behind yeah. the computer, you yeah. know. And it's changing that narrative, showing them that, that's just how you get in, but that's not the end of the journey, you know. A lot of people um, are intimidated by the field because they think that's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. But there's so many roles where um, you don't have to be particularly technical, no. but you can still work for a technical company. Mm-hmm. I find myself, I always say it's, it's a role of translation because I spend a lot of time taking the technical information mm-hmm. and then making sure that customers of, of varying abilities or knowledge or backgrounds or industries all understand the same point so I could find 40 different ways of relaying it to make sure that people understand it and that's where I come into my own yeah that's not necessarily technical but I would have to have some technical understanding Mm -hmm. to be able to do that translation uh but I don't need to know how to code to do that but knowing how to code helps with parts of it Mm -hmm. because some of the questions are more technical than others everybody has their own area that they'll fly in in this but definitely it's a misconception there's it's not when you get into it any tech company there's roles within tech companies that don't actually require tech backgrounds tech degrees tech experience it's that cliche 
term that they say there's no I in team. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I just cringe there, but you know, had to say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there any little life lessons that you can share with someone who's just starting their career? It doesn't matter if they're thinking about getting into security or not, but we've talked a lot mm-hmm. about work-life balance today. If there's one thing that they're going to take away from listening to this podcast or one question that they might ask themselves today, what would that be? If it doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. don't do it. If it feels right, do it. I know that sounds very basic, almost animalistic, but uh, that's as simple as it is. If you're working in a job and you're finding it difficult to go into it, difficult to get through the day, it's not lighting you up, shall you say, then it's time to make that move. And it's not as scary to make the move as people may think. There's a couple of points. I have so many points. But mostly, yeah, if you feel like you're not enjoying what you're doing, then move, bite the bullet, jump, move, don't stay. If you stay for another two or three years and that, that's it. Watch yourself just put out your own fire as such and it's very hard to pick yourself up from that because you're the one that does that damage. Um, make the move. But uh, I always, I think every time I've ever been speaking to anybody or spoken to other people, um, what I always like to say is know your own value. If you don't know what you're worth, how can you make anybody else understand that? So you need to know your own value. And I'm not talking about going on uh, recruitment sites and seeing what you're worth in a salary. It's what you're <laughs> worth to to a company. Yeah. Are you an ideas person? Are you a hard worker? Are you a numbers person? Are you the creative person? There's something mm-hmm. that you bring to every table. There's yeah. a value you have within your group of friends, within your uh, place of employment, within your family. And if you don't understand that value, then you have to go back and that's where you need to do your groundwork everything else actually does oh I sound like a real mammy when I say this (laughs) everything else actually does fall into line once you've got that under control if you you need to know what you're worth and then do not accept less than that so when you go for your job go for your interview go for placement in college or decide to move countries whatever it is don't accept less than you're worth and you will get what you're worth it does happen sometimes you have to shoot at it a few times but it will happen Mm -hmm. don't accept less than it because it's very 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 hard to pull yourself back from that that was like 14 different suggestions in one sentence (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for your time today jennifer you're very welcome i enjoyed it